Thanks, Pete. That was great. Okay, so it's great to uh, be here this evening and uh, to be able to uh, uh, share the gospel with you. Now, the reality is, is that I don't know a, a good number of you. There's quite a few folks here that I do know quite well, but there's some strangers, there's some faces that uh, I'm not familiar with. I want to say thank you very much for coming and being prepared to come and to hear uh, the message this evening. Of course, it's not uh, coincidental that you're here because God uh, leads us and directs us and guides us. And whether you understand it or not, there is a pull in your heart that says you need to come to hear the voice of Jesus say, because it's not my voice you're here, to, you're here this evening to hear and listen to, but it is indeed his voice. And I need you to understand that. I need you to be able to take that on board and to appreciate the great significance of that. Now, the series that uh, I attempted to start a few weeks ago and uh, was uh, interrupted because God had some other plans for me for a little while to take some time out, some time out away from you guys, uh, even from my family, which was a challenge, and to spend uh, a little bit of time in hospital. But you know, these things give us opportunities to think and to take stock and to review of our lives, doesn't it? And sometimes we need that. And sometimes it's not the plan that we have, but it's the plan that God has. And so I stand before you this evening, um, having gone through uh, some long dark nights when I have felt that uh, things are not working out well. Sometimes uh, uh, the wonderful people in our medical professions, and they are all great, will say something uh, that can worry you. And then you spend the rest of the night thinking about it instead of thinking about God and how good he is and the importance in our lives uh, that he is to us. And so uh, that was the, uh, the situation that uh, I was able to, uh, to, uh, to have of recent. But what I wanted to do was to go back uh, to uh, my stay uh, in the hospital in, uh, in Rome. And uh, for those of you who know, uh, this fellowship was very gracious and allowed my wife and our family to take a three-month period of refreshment off and we were able to travel in Europe. We went to see family and friends and loved ones and we were able to travel around and cover different countries in Europe. And so I ended up uh, in, uh, we were in Rome. Uh, Joe had the family uh, in, uh, we were in a, a villa and it was fascinating how God provided because the villa that we had had two walls, two fences, two gates to be able to get into it. There was the one up on the road and then there was another one immediately around us. And so now, looking back, we understand why that extra security was given to us. Because with little children running around, you know, it's not always uh, easy to keep your eyes on all of them. Um, Italy, as I've said before, is the most beautiful country. It's uh, got weather, which is uh, just wonderful. It's got scenery and countryside. It's full of, of antiquities of, uh, of the Roman period and, in fact, before. Um, the flowers as well. It's a beautiful place, and we thoroughly enjoyed our time in, uh, in Italy, but then um, uh, I was unwell. And so we ended up phoning the, uh, uh, the medical um, insurance people that we had taken out a policy with, and they arranged for me to go to the San Felipe Hospital on the outskirts of Rome. But of course, Joe had to leave the children, and she had to drive me. And as I said, uh, Italians are wonderful people, except when you put them behind the steering wheel of a car, and then everything changes. It, it's, uh, it's like a switch is switched on inside them, and they, and they become um, um, somewhat aggressive, uh, somewhat impatient. And the most important part of the uh, instrumentation and the uh, equipment on the car is the horn. 
uh, regardless of anything else, you've got to make sure your presence on the road is known. So I felt uh, sorry for Joan as we were driving to the hospital. I'd said to her, you know, may not make it out uh, of this place tonight. Um, perhaps the Lord will have uh, other reasons, other plans and purposes. And so that's what happened. And uh, I felt very concerned for Joe having to travel back. Now, if you were here a few weeks ago, I told you about Mary Davis. I'm in Italy in this hospital. Uh, I can't speak Italian. Um, spaghetti is probably the limit of my Italian. Uh, maybe ravioli as well, but that's pretty well it. And uh, it's scary. Um, uh, and then the Lord brought Mary Davis in. Now, with a name like Mary Davis, you've got to imagine she's not Italian. And uh, she was in the bed next to me in the corridor, and she was able to help greatly. And that was God's provision. Now, Mary wasn't saved, and I explained to you that she was so upset, the fact that she had spent the whole of her life, she was in her mid-70s, she'd spent the whole of her life working for God, she told me. She said, I've done so much for God. And she said, it's typical, isn't it? When you need him most, he's not there. And I was able to share with her, yes, he is. It's just that you don't recognize him. You don't realize. And then the, la the next uh, Sunday, I shared with you the fact that uh, during the course of the night, there was um, a lady, and she cried out the word padre, 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 for the whole night. And Mary explained to me that she's crying out for her priest to come because she needs to be absolved of her sin because her life is coming to an end. And she was crying out to a man to be able to do that for her. And she didn't need to. Because there's no barrier that stops us coming to God. All those barriers have been taken away. And you and I are able to stand in the presence of God as we do even this evening. And we can call to him. And he hears us because he's calling to us. I heard the voice of Jesus say, did you sing that hymn? And you're sat there, and you sang the words, but you've not listened, and you need to. And so this evening, I want to talk about uh, um, another lady who was also facing um, terminal cancer from what I could determine. The cancer had taken a, a, a major turn, um, uh, and, and she was brought into the emergency room to try and be given some relief. And she's lying in her bed, and she's crying out to Mary. And she's saying, the translation is roughly, Mary, save me. Mary, save me. Now, I want to say right now, right at the outset, that this uh, meeting this evening is not to criticize Roman Catholicism. I'm not here to do that. Okay, in fact, the conversation that took place and listening to this dear lady made me look into the whole reasons as to why Catholics will pray or appear to be praying to Mary. But I wanted to show you this picture because this picture here shows you of a couple of the churches that uh, we were able to travel uh, uh, to look at in the old city of Verona. Now, if anybody knows, uh, Verona is in the north of Italy and uh, it's where the story Romeo and Juliet is set. And yes, we did go and we saw the balcony and we did look up. And uh, I did consider that if Joe and I were in that particular situation, I would not have been able to do anything because it was too high to climb up. And I have trouble when I get about three foot off the ground uh, with, with height. So Joe would have to have climbed down. That's what would have happened there. But uh, 
these are just a couple of the pictures from inside the church, because one, or inside some of the churches, because one of the things that you discover very quickly when you travel in Italy, and as I said, I, I, I do mean this, and if there is anybody from a Roman Catholic background, I'm very happy to talk to you afterwards and to explain, but I want you to feel welcome here this evening. We're not out uh, to, uh, to be unkind or to be ungracious, but there are some things that this lady reminded me that the Bible says we need to take note of. And so when you look at some of these churches, you discover that these beautiful altarpieces uh, are, uh, are present in many of them. And this was just a handful. There were many that we could have shown pictures of. Even some of the smaller churches, there was one little village uh, that we had to walk across a causeway, and the village itself was built on the rock. Can't remember the name of it, Joe. Can you? Never mind. Okay, beautiful little place. And when we got into the little church at the top again, there were many candles that were lit, and there was a big altar and uh, you discover that the image of Mary. So the one that you have on the left there shows Mary seated in a throne and the baby Jesus is in her lap. And then this one here, again, you see Mary and you see an effigy of, uh, of the Lord Jesus and again, many candles that are presented. And some people would say that uh, it's a cult to Mary. And in some respects, you could argue that. But as I said, we're not here to do that this evening. Some of the names that are given to uh, Mary uh, in Catholicism would be Blessed Mother, Mother of God, Our Lady, Queen of Heaven, Cause of Our Joy, Mother of Mercy. <clears throat> and the dear lady who was in the, uh, uh, the hospital with me on that occasion was crying out with all the strength that she had, and it wasn't a lot of strength. And she was crying to Mary to help her, to save her to take her out of the situation that she was in. And as I listened to this, and I thought to myself, there's no hope here. Because you see, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ means we have hope. And that hope is a sure hope. It's a certain hope. It's a hope that will not let us down. Now, why do Catholics uh, call out uh, to Mary in this way? Well, um, a knowledgeable Catholic who is here this evening would say, we're not asking Mary to save us. But what we are asking Mary to do is to be a mediator with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that helps us to understand where some of this comes from. And the idea is that Jesus will listen to his mother speaking more than he will listen to you and I calling to him. Now, that's the general concept. Some people come up uh, to me and say, Pastor, will you pray for me? Now, most people, because they simply want me to pray for them, and that's fine, and I should be praying for them, but there's just a few that have this idea that if the pastor prays for you, then that's a better position to be in. Because, you know, if, if God's going to listen to anybody, it's got to be the pastor of the church. But you see, the cross has a great flattening effect. I don't know if you've thought about this before. Because the cross takes away everything else. It opens the way into the very throne room of God. And you and I don't have to go through anybody else, including Mary, 
to be able to come to the foot of the Lord Jesus Christ, to be able to share our burden with him, to be able to ask him to help us in our need and in our time of need. And so there's this flattening effect that takes place. There's no sort of streams or rivers or better ways that you can do this. Each and every one of us, if we're prepared to call out to God, God does hear us. God is interested in us. And we don't have to have the help of anybody else to be able to come to God. Now, uh, I'm going to just ask if uh, we could just read together. Uh, I'll read uh, um, um, for us. Uh, in fact, I'm going to open my Bible because... Uh, so if you do have your Bible and you'd prefer to turn to Acts chapter 4, then please, uh, please follow along with me. Acts chapter 4. <clears throat> Now, just before we turn and read Acts chapter 4, or this section of Acts chapter 4 this evening, it's always good to know the context of the Scriptures, isn't it? And uh, the context that we have here uh, is regarding a healing that took place. Um, a man, we're told, who was lame. He was lame from the day he was born. Uh, we're not told a great deal of detail about him as to what his age was or so on, but we know that... Uh, he was an adult, and we know that what took place is that Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of uh, the prayer time, and of course, that would have been a good time to be on your mat, hoping that people will leave some alms, some gifts for you. Uh, this man, as I said, was born lame, and he was carried by friends, perhaps family, to this gate of the temple that was called Beautiful, and there he would beg. And Peter and John are about to enter the temple and uh, they're asked for alms. And Peter, fixing his eyes on the man with John beside him, Peter said this, he said, look at us, look at us, look at us. Okay, now that was an interesting change from the usual, wasn't it? The English are not good at eye contact, you know. We don't want to get too close to people. Uh, we like to have our... An Englishman's home is his castle, and I, and I try and get people to understand that, but nobody in Canada seems to understand that, that uh, the neighbor doesn't park on my piece of grass <laughs> on the other side of the road. But here, everybody parks on your piece of grass. So fixing his eyes on him, he says, look at us. And so we're told that the man gave them his attention expecting to receive something from them. And then Peter drops the bombshell. And he says, silver and gold I haven't got. But what I do have I give to you. And then he says this, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the hand, the right hand, and lifted him up. And immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he starts to leap. He stood and he walked and he entered the temple with them. And then we're told, verse 8, walking and leaping and praising God. 
So in those moments, in those seconds, something's changed. And all the people who saw him walking and praising God, and then they knew that it was he who had sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened. And then we discover that Peter goes on and he talks uh, about um, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. So these people are being reminded of something that had happened not very long ago. And they're being reminded that it was they that crucified the Lord Jesus Christ. Even Pilate wanted to let him go. Yet now, brethren, I know that you did it in ignorance, Peter tells them, as did also your rulers. But those things which God foretold by the mouth of his prophets, that the Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Isn't that lovely? Times of refreshment come from the presence of the Lord. And then we come to chapter 4 and we read, Now as they spoke to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them, being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. However, many of those who had heard the word believed. I'm going to stop you there. Do you notice what they heard? It says, many of those who heard the word believed. And the number of men came to be about 5,000. And it came to pass on the next day that their rulers, elders, and scribes, as well as Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, John and Alexander, and as many as were of the family of the high priest. Corruption had taken place, and uh, the high priest and his family were the ones who were ruling things, were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had sent them in the midst, they asked, by what power or by what name do you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands before you and whole. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Nor is there any, nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we can be saved, by which we must be saved. You see, it wasn't the miracle 
of the healing of the man. that saved the people. It was through hearing the word of God. Of course, the chief priests were in a bit of a, bit of a tricky corner, as you'd say in England. You know, whichever direction they turned, there wasn't really a way out. You see, they couldn't deny the miracle, could they? Because the guy stood in front of them. And they all knew him because they'd been walking past him for years. And they all knew that he'd been born with deformity in his legs. He couldn't stand, he couldn't walk, he couldn't, certainly couldn't bounce around and rush into the temple as we see here. So they couldn't deny the miracle that had taken place. They were trapped. Uh, there was no way that they could turn. But their problem was they couldn't explain how it happened either. In fact, in the scriptures that we haven't read here, but are contained in those passages of scripture, they describe Peter and John as uneducated, untrained. They had the wrong accent. You know, in England, we worry about people from the north of England. And they couldn't get their mind round what was going on. How, how could these uneducated guys, they haven't been to college or university or rabbinical school or whatever it was. How could they have done it? And as far as they're concerned, Jesus is dead. So how, how could this have happened? And so it's very important that we note that it's not of itself the miracle. The miracle was not the proof of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Or for that matter, even the proof of the truth of Peter's message. We're told in 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 2, aren't we, that Satan can perform miracles. And the scriptures talk about false prophets, false messiahs. A false church, a false synagogue, a synagogue of Satan. Because everything that God does, Satan tries to replicate. You see, God is the creator. He's the originator. And Satan is an imitator. And we see this in our lives all the time. We know the truth. And Satan comes along and says, it's okay, Randy, there's another option here. And just sometimes we fall for it. You see, the lady in the hospital believed that Mary could save her. But the Bible tells us that there is no other name anywhere in this world, in the universe, by which we can be saved. Notice also that in both the sermons that Peter preached here, he used the word of God. Uh, we 
read it together that he spoke of the prophets. And he explained, because the crowd in front of him were Jewish people, and he preached the gospel from the scriptures that they had. You see, they were trapped. Whichever direction they went, they couldn't refute what was taking place here. It had happened. The guy had been raised from, from, uh, from his, his mat, and not only is that, he's actually bouncing around, and he's running into the temple, and he's praising God. Everything's changed. And so we're going to look, if we may, just at another section of Scripture, this time from the Old Testament. So if you have uh, a Bible and uh, would like to turn it, and uh, this is the section of Scripture that will... Oh, no, we've got a few minutes, because I just want to share something else important that uh, um, that we'll just turn, if we may, to uh, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 13. And already some of you will know the section of Scripture that uh, I'm referring to. Deuteronomy chapter 13... And we'll read, if we may, I believe it's verses 1 to 5. <clears throat> um, a very sobering section of Scripture. Uh, one which today should uh, ensure we're vigilant as to what is being uh, preached and taught. Uh, because today in Ontario, you can't just walk into any church and assume that the gospel will be preached. In fact, there's a pretty high chance it won't be preached. That's sad. I think it was around the year 1920 that uh, Ontario had more people in church than there were seats in churches. It was standing room only. As they say in England, move down the bus. And now that's not the case. First, the, uh, chapter 13, verse 1 says, If there arises among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams, and he gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or the wonder comes to pass, of which he spoke to you, saying, Let us go after other gods. Hear these words carefully. Which you have not known. And let us serve them. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice. You shall serve him and hold fast to him. But that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he has spoken in order to turn you away from the Lord your God who has brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of bondage to entice you from the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk. So you shall put away evil from your midst. Wow. What a section of scripture. And how incumbent it is upon us 
to look carefully at what we say and what we see and what we hear. Miracles, whilst wonderful and something we should not be fearful of, but miracles of themselves are never a substitute for the word of God. You see, the chief priests and the teachers of the people were not actually seeking the truth. That's really the last thing that they were looking for. In fact, they were actually seeking to avoid the truth. And if they'd honestly considered the evidence and meekly listened to the message, they might have been saved. But their pride stood in the way. And their hardness of heart stopped them from hearing. Their response is proof that miracles alone can never convict or convert the lost sinner. Only the word of God can do this. So we have to have ears that are open, hearts that are open to hear. Last Sunday, uh, my brother Albert here was gracious to um, ask the entire fellowship to come and to gather and to pray for me. So last week I couldn't have done what we've done today. I've enjoyed speaking and sharing with you this morning and again this evening. But last week wouldn't have happened. Uh, quite frankly, it was as much as I could do to, to really stand and walk in and out of the church. But I missed you all, and I need to be here. And so Albert very graciously prayed, and uh, everybody held hands and t touched my shoulders. And I want to say thank you that he was brave enough to do that, because sometimes in churches, people get all you know, get all edgy about these sorts of things. There's this sort of idea that we shouldn't show any, all being a bit British, really, shouldn't show any emotion. We only show emotion to dogs and horses and things like that. But I want to say to you that God answered the prayer. Monday, Sunday evening wasn't easy for me. It was a challenge uh, with some things that were going on at home. Well, it's all right. I'm fine. <laughs> I feel like a chat show host now. <laughs> and uh, it wasn't an easy, um, uh, easy night for us. And truthfully, I was saying, you know, Lord, what's going on here? Because uh, for those of you who don't know, and I don't want to go into all the details, but I've got a, a drain fitted into my liver at the moment. And uh, a week ago on Saturday, a, Saturday, uh, a week yesterday, um, in agreement with the doctors, we had to turn this drain off. And uh, the truth is, it was with trepidation because I now know what obstructive jaundice does to you. And uh, if any of you are ever faced with that situation, you don't want to be. Uh, one of the outward signs is you go bright yellow, which is uh, quite amusing. Uh, your wife has to put sunglasses on to say good morning to you. <laughs> and uh, so I'd switched that off on the Saturday and on the Sunday, I could tell that, uh, um, you know, the stuff of which there was three 600 milliliter bags a day that I would dispose of. 
And I'm, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, you know, where's all this stuff going? So you guys prayed. And on Monday morning, um, the day was okay, but around lunchtime I felt my belly was really, really hard. And I was beginning to feel uncomfortable and I made sure I knew where the painkillers were that the hospital had given me. And uh, I'm thinking to myself, well, you know, obvious what's going on really, isn't it? Because uh, uh, it's not coming out, therefore it's staying inside and it's building up. And uh, something's going to go pop shortly. <laughs> so I said to Joe about, uh, I suppose it had been about quarter to eight, nine o'clock <clears throat> on Monday evening. I'm going to go and lie down. And uh, because lying down seemed to help a little bit. Uh, I still had ringing in my ears the prayers that were made from people. And Albert, with your description of what was going on, I want to say thank you. And uh, I'm laying there, and I, and I just touch my tummy, and it's, you, you know when you've overindulged and you've eaten more than you should have, and it just, you can go ping, and it goes ping. <laughs> That's how it felt. And I thought, Lord, I'm never going to get to sleep. And then suddenly, an overwhelming sense of, of, of drowsiness just came over me. It was a bit like the anesthetic that uh, they'd given me for a couple of the procedures that they had tried. It wasn't a full anesthetic. It was one of those... Um, sedative type things but you but you sleep wonderfully and you ask for another bottle when you wake up <laughs> it was like that and I thought as I was beginning to feel drowsy my eyes were just closing and shutting it was it was really surreal it was strange I didn't hear Joe come to bed or anything so she must have come a bit later I didn't hear the kids being put to bed or anything I was just sound asleep and I don't know how that happened because I wasn't in the right frame of mind that the, the Saturday the Sunday evening had been a nightmare in many respects with other things going on and sleep should have and would have been elusive I woke somewhere between two and three in the morning <coughs> and I was drenched in sweat I remember turning my face to one side on the pillow and the pillow was cold because I'd sweated and then the the, the, the sweat had gone cold and I was drenched, but then suddenly as I came to, I realized that my belly was as soft as it should be, and there was no hardness there at all. And I believe, now I've got to see the doctor to prove this, but I'm, I'm, I'm now running around again. I'm running from my office, into, and I keep suddenly remembering, no, Sim, slow down, you're not supposed to. Joe sees you, you're in trouble. You know, stop running around. And... Uh, so I've got to see the specialist uh, tomorrow, 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Um, but as far as I'm concerned, the obstruction has cleared. And it's done it on its own. Or has God done it? And uh, I haven't had any problems since. Um, I have got my energy back. I need to put on a bit of weight. So if anyone's got any... Uh, cherry pies and things like that. Don't hesitate to send them round. I'll clear them up. 
But I want to say to you that God is good. And throughout the time that I've spent in hospital, uh, of which has been about three weeks here, a couple of days in, in Italy, whilst there was one particular night when it was a long night and the doctor had said certain things, and, and I mean, you know, I've still got these biopsy results which have been taken. I don't know what everything will be said tomorrow, but what I do know is, is that now I feel completely fine. And um, and even on that night when uh, it was midnight and I was feeling sorry for myself and, and I doubted God. Uh, I tried to settle myself and uh, I, uh, I thought, well, you know, when you're like this, I'd tell everybody in the congregation, open your Bible and start to read a bit of your own medicine, really. And so I, I, Joe had said to me to use my phone with the Bible app on it, and you can set it to actually play um, the scriptures, or you can listen to the scriptures. Can I get that thing to do that? I can't work it out. I mean, how in the world do, do, do these gadgets work? But when I opened it, it kept coming up with, uh, every, every time I pressed any buttons on it, Psalm 91. And uh, so finally, after the frustration had set in trying to get it to go to where I wanted it to go, I thought, well, Lord, perhaps I better read Psalm 91 because it, every, every button I press, it's there. It just won't go away. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in him. I will trust, surely he shall deliver me from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you with his feathers and under his wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night. And I was terrified. nor the arrows that fly by day, nor the pestilences that walks in the darkness, nor the destruction that lays waste at noonday. Verse 10, no evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling, for he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone, you shall tread upon the lion and the cobra and the young lion and the serpent you shall trample underfoot because he has set his love upon me. Therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. He shall call upon me and I shall answer him. I will be with him in trouble and will deliver him and honor him. With long life I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. What a wonderful psalm that is. And you'd have thought to yourself, wouldn't you, that that was enough for me, right? Yeah? You know, my phone, every time I fiddled with it to try and come up with something else, there it is, Psalm 91. Can't get rid of it. But I doubted.
fitful sleep comes. And in the morning at 5 a.m., morning! And this guy comes into my room and says, I need to take a sample of blood. He's wearing a mask. He's from India or Sri Lanka or somewhere. And then he does this. He leans over me and he takes his mask off. And he holds my arm. And he says, I've come to tell you that everything is okay. You just need to trust in the Lord. Never met the guy before. His name's Wiki. He's from Sri Lanka. And finally, I gave in. And I trusted God. As I should have. Now, as I said, I, I don't know fully what the outcome of all this will be. Maybe tomorrow we'll reveal some other information that I don't know about. But Joe and I are trusting and hopeful and believe that the healing at least that I've received at this time is for now. And I'm here today and I had to be here for today because this morning with the baptismal service it was something that I've been looking forward to and I knew that I needed to be here. Now some of you here are thinking to yourself, yes, but my dear husband passed away or my child died. And I'll be honest with you and say that I can't answer all those questions for you. I can't. But I can say this. In every situation, we come and we commit everything to God. Because the believer has no other option. And nor does he or she need another option. Do we take God at face value? When he says, I love you, and I'm concerned for you. When he says, don't fear, don't be anxious, be anxious for nothing. And so I just ask all of you, in the circumstance that you find yourself in, never be afraid to just hand it over to God and just let him lead you. But don't press the patience of God like I did. Don't wait for that angel to be brought into the room to lean over your bed and whisper in your ear. I still don't know who he was. How he did it. How he knew. Only saw him once. 